Let's give Andy a little round of applause as he comes up to speak. Uh, many of you know we had Andy Lancaster from uh, Bridge Community Church just earlier this year, where it's great to have Andy Lenton. I'm aware that, Andy, uh, we're new to you, so I've just got a couple of easy questions to ask you before we start. Um, Andy, why don't you just tell us uh, a, little about, a little bit about uh, your family, and uh, let's start there. Uh, married to Lisa, 25 years this year. Uh, she's just come back from Kathmandu. She loves Nepal and all that sort of stuff. So that's where half our money went. And, uh, and I blocked paid my drive. We're, we're real romantics like that. So <laughs> we've got three kids. Uh, Alistair, who's 21. Cameron, who's 17. And Karis, who's 15 at the end of this month. Uh, two boys and a girl. Great. Uh, if you had a free evening, unlimited budget... What would you do with the evening? Convince my wife to get on the back of the motorbike, bomb down to Bramall Lane, home of the best football. <laughs> Watch Sheffield United, and then find a nice meal and have a steak. Right, right. I think everyone was with you with the steak and meal and things. No one liked Sheffield United, yeah. <laughs> Okay, we have one fan. Okay, let me pray for you and then all over to you. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for Andy. Thank you so much for uh, uh, the, the broader church. Thank you, God, that there are many great churches in Leeds. And we pray as uh, British Community Church have been so generous in giving us Andy for today. Would you bless that church family today? And God, we uh, want to hear what you have to say to us um, through Andy. Please use him to speak into our church family in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much, you proud dad. Brilliant. It's a real privilege to be here this morning. And, uh, well, there's no better church service than a baptism. It's fantastic. I, I, I love it. And uh, did your wife provide that birthing pool? <laughs> Is that where you got it from? But, uh, but no, great for, for you. I've never, ever preached in a church where the backdrop has been Roald Dahl's witches. <laughs> I think it's fantastic. <laughs> it's great. But it's good to be with you this morning. And uh, trust that what I have to say is encouraging to you. Trust it makes you think, perhaps. Uh, trust you're going to take part, because uh, the silence that you showed with Sheffield United is not going to work if you uh, continue with that this morning. But uh, if you have a Bible, uh, turn to Mark chapter 1. Gospel of Mark chapter 1. And um, I'm just going to read um, quite a thought-provoking passage. Really relevant for this morning. Really relevant. And um, this is the New Living Translation. I don't know what what translation you use, I, I use this because it's just, well, it's just, I'm thick and this is a good, good, easy read. So that's great. It's interesting. Um, our MP for where our church is situated is Hilary Benn. Now, I don't know what, what persuasion you are or anything like that, but he, he came and looked around our, our, our new building and he just whispered into my ear, which version of the Bible do you read? And I went, oh, uh, New Living Translation. Oh, he says, I'm an ESV sort of a man myself. I thought, wow, that's amazing. And then I looked into his granddad was a congregational minister, so that's interesting. Anyway, that's aside. 
The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah. This is verse 1. The Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make straight paths for him. And so the John, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water. But he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And the voice came from heaven. You are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. I think there was another father saying that this morning as well, actually. At once, the Spirit sent him out to the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, said Jesus, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once, they left their nets and followed him. I think we'll end it there. That's a good way to to end. Three times in that passage are the words, good news used there's good news about Jesus early in the passage there's God's good news a little bit later on and then it it, it rounds off by saying believe this good news it's my prayer this morning that wherever you are whatever situation you find yourself in how far along the road of faith you might be even if you're just beginning today you recognize that Jesus is God's good news. And maybe this morning, you take that a little bit further and you believe that good news and you begin to follow him. We read how Jesus invited his early disciples to follow them and, and he did. Immediately, they followed him. This morning, I'm gonna give you an invitation. Maybe this morning is the, is the morning that you make that decision to follow him. Now then, who's fed up with bad news. Do you know, I took a risk this morning. And I said to my wife, she went out jogging. I said, just buy a paper. What paper, she says. I said, any paper you like. That was a bit of a risk, I have to say. Any paper you like. And I knew, well, I sort of like an, had an inkling, that whatever paper she bought, it would be well into the paper when there was any good news whatsoever. And in the Sunday Times this morning... It's about page 11 by the time there's good news appearing in that paper. There's bad news everywhere. Well done, Lawrence. 
bad news. So much bad news. Many people are wondering, what, what's happened to the world? It used to be once or twice a day that you used to perhaps switch on the news or pick up the newspaper if you wanted to and, and read if you wanted to. But I don't know about you, but nowadays, your phone's dinging, your iPad's pinging, your device's zinging, whatever, and it's a barrage of bad news. You know, tragic news in lots of ways. Wherever we are, whatever we're doing, it interrupts us, it invades even our most quiet moments. Images and news that shock us and yet perhaps don't seem to shock us in the way that they perhaps used to do. It seems that we're becoming a desensitized people because we're just barraged by this 24-hour diet of just negative stuff. Tragic plane crashes, terrorism, radicalization, corruption, crime, constantly coming in our eyes, our ears, our, our brains. Doctors are saying that there's never been a time when there's been more people suffering from stress and depression. And this is a contributing factor because we live in such a, a negative world with such bad news. But it's not just a present day phenomenon. In 1910, the Times newspaper asked a number of prominent authors of that day to write on a topic or write an article, What's Wrong with the World? G.K. Chesterton was a prominent author at that time. And his answer was the shortest of all the, all the articles submitted. He simply wrote, Dear Sirs, I am. Sincerely yours, G.K. Chesterton. His answer was short and yet so profound. He had hit the nail right on the head. In fact, centuries earlier, Isaiah had wrote, We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid the iniquity of us all on him. That's Isaiah 53, verse 6. Every single one of us is what's wrong with the world. We have a problem. It's a problem that we can't put right. The Bible calls that problem sin. It manifests itself in all sorts of ways, including our own selfishness, lawlessness, inhumanity to each other. In fact, problem in no way describes the seriousness of the situation of sin. Our, our sin is inherent. We inherit it from birth. There's nothing we can do. As the Bible puts it, we are powerless, the book of Romans says, to do anything about it. And it's our sin that separates us from God. We've fallen out of relationship with him and sin has made a barrier between us and God and we can do nothing about it. Our sin is the bad news. So what's wrong with the world? I am. Now then, who would like some good news? Well, Sheffield United are top of the championship. Well, they were for Friday night. They're not Saturday, but anyway. No, Ben Hatch has got baptised this morning. It's amazing news. Absolutely amazing. I, I look forward to the day when my sons uh, go through the water of baptism. In fact, I'm constantly saying, you know, have you thought about getting baptised? <laughs> I don't want to be a pushy dad, but like, you know, it's a, it's a good thing to do. Silly news. The world is full of silly news, isn't it? Stupid news. Stuff that when you hear it, you say to yourself, that can't be right. And it isn't right. 
But it happens nonetheless. Here's a few examples. If you're American, I'm really sorry. These are all American examples. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> but they are true. Kathleen Robertson of Austin, Texas, was awarded $780,000 by a jury after breaking her ankle, tripping over a toddler who was running around inside a furniture store. The owners of the store were understandably surprised and dismayed at the verdict as the misbehaving little boy was Miss Robertson's own son. <laughs> Terence Dixon of Bristol, Florida was leaving a house he had just finished robbing by way of the garage. He was not able to undo the internal catch on the garage door since the automatic door opener was broken. He then found he couldn't re-enter the house because the door connecting the house to the inside of the garage was locked when you pulled it shut. The family of the house were away on holiday. Mr. Dixon found himself locked in the garage for eight days. He survived on a case of Pepsi he found and a large bag of dry dog food. He successfully sued the homeowners, claiming the situation caused him undue mental anguish. A Philadelphia restaurant was ordered to pay Miss Amber Carson of Lancaster, Pennsylvania, $113,000 after she slipped on a soft drink and broke her coccyx. The beverage was on the floor because Miss Carson threw it at her boyfriend seconds earlier during an argument. And here's the craziest one. A guy called Merv Gritzinski of Oklahoma City. In November 2000, Mr. Gritzinski purchased a brand new 32 feet Winnebago motorhome. On his first trip home, having joined the freeway, he set the cruise control to 50 miles an hour and calmly left the driver's seat to go into the back to make himself a cup of coffee. Not surprisingly, the Winnebago left the freeway and crashed into a nearby house. There we go. Mr. Grzynski sued Winnebago for not advising him in the handbook that he couldn't do this. And he was awarded $1,750,000 plus a new Winnebago. And even more crazy, Winnebago actually now have changed their handbooks on the back of the court case just in case there's another complete idiot by a Winnebago. Crazy. But actually, if you look at that picture and think about that story, it seems like a crazy thing to do. And yet, in a metaphorical sort of a way, there's many people in our world that seem to live their lives in a very similar way. Many people seem to have clicked on cruise control and took their eyes off the way ahead, what life is really all about, and become distracted by much lesser things. The Bible wisely encourages us in Matthew 6 to not store up treasures on earth. Instead, store up treasure in heaven. In other words, be aware, we are spiritual beings Life is not all about what's just down here. There is an eternity. Life down here is not, not just it. 
I've got a friend who works in the LGI. He's a pathologist. He does post-mortems every day. And he plays cricket with me. And he's got a good sense of humour, actually. I call him Les. He's not a Christian. And I say to him, come on, Les, tell me. When you're about to do a post-mortem, there's the body on the slab. Is it just a body? Is it just a, just a body? Has something left that body? And he says, definitely something's left that body. And I say, oh, that's interesting. What's left that body, Les? So he goes, well, I don't know. Spirit, soul, spark. But something's definitely left that body. I say, ah, oh, so where's that spirit gone? He goes, oh, Vicar, that's for you to tell me. <laughs> but it's interesting. He's a scientist. He, he, he knows something's definitely left that body. There's a fact that there's a part of us that is eternal. Our spirit. It's our spirit that will live on after our body dies and returns to the dust. We can't take any of our earthly possessions with us. So why put your trust in stuff that rusts and decays? Proverbs chapter 3 verse 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. What does that mean? What does it mean to trust in the Lord with all your heart? What does it mean to, to not lean on your, your own understanding? Well, this is the good news. Now, I know that we're, we're heading up the hill. We've got the little leaflets out. We're heading towards Christmas. But I want you to think beyond Christmas. I want you to think of the next major celebration, which is Easter. And the time leading up to Easter is Lent. Lent is a special time set aside for everyone to think about eternal issues. It's a time when people give up certain things and focus their attention on the more important things. It was never designed as a time where people would just give up chocolate or something similar to lose weight. Lent is not about losing physical weight. It's about losing spiritual weight. There's all kinds of things that people give up. Chocolate, cake, bread, snacks. A few years ago when my kids were a bit younger, I gave up TV. And I might as well have fasted kids for 40 days because I never saw them. I was sat in the dining room in the rocket chair and they were all watching the television. Actually, now the teenagers, that's not a bad thing, is it? But anyway, some people uh, I've heard uh, give up their shoes for Lent, which is quite interesting. Uh, well, makes you uncomfortable, doesn't it? Uh, a person who, who was a friend of mine gave up his pillow for Lent, which is like interesting. But anyway, there you go. But you never hear of anyone giving up sin for Lent, do you? I'm going to give up sin for Lent. That would be a great idea. Great idea. But is it possible? Is it achievable? Even for 40 days, could anybody give up sinning for 40 days? Actually, sin is something no one can give up. That's exactly the reason why we have Easter. Easter, that, that pivotal time in the whole of the history of the world. That time that enabled everyone and anyone access to God, the God of eternity. That's the good news. Good Friday, Easter Sunday, that's why we refer to that whole time as a, as a good time. The Bible says that Jesus' death on the cross and his subsequent resurrection back to life is the only way that we can have our sin completely dealt with, forgiven, forgotten. Well, that's great for me. I'm glad God's forgotten a lot of my sin. 
and our lives secure in him for eternity. Every single one of us is weighed down by our sin. And if not dealt with, our sin will crush us. And it will sentence us to an eternity without God. That's why Lent is about losing spiritual weight. And it all points back to that first Easter. I want you to look at this painting. This is a painting by an Italian, well, it's a Swiss-born Italian artist, Antonio Cesare, born in 1871. And if you went to Florence and you went to the, the Gallery of Modern Art, this painting would be there. It's entitled Ecce Homo, which means Behold the Man. And it depicts, well, that's, they're, they're um, actually Pontius Pilate's words. It's a painting about Pontius Pilate's words, Behold the Man. It depicts Jesus, just after his flogging, being dragged up before the crowds in front of Pontius Pilate. Uh, but Pilate is trying his best to convince the crowd that Jesus has suffered enough. And that he needn't be crucified. Pilate doesn't want anything else to do with this man called Jesus. The use of the, the light and the shadow in the, in the painting are amazing. Pilate's clothes are transparent and there's a great contrast between the heat of the sun in the background where the crowds are and the cooling marble of the foreground in, in Pilate's palace. Because we can't see many faces, posture is very, very important. And Pilate bends his body and puts his foot towards the crowd to get closer to them. Arms pointing to the man of sorrows as if he's saying, Hasn't he gone through enough? Isn't this enough? Christ's body posture is completely different. He looks down, motionless, patiently suffering, probably totally exhausted. We can see, perhaps you can't from here, but if you look closely, you can see the crowd's faces through the, the crisscross of the fencing and in the distance, you can see the anger on the crowd. They're whipped up into a frenzy as they shout out, crucify him. And Pilate's wife, on the other hand, is holding another woman for support. She can't even bear to look at what's happening. Before this all began, she told her husband not to harm Jesus because she had had a bad dream about him. The painting shows these different opposite reactions of the people. And they weren't Jesus' disciples. The crowd's reaction was one of excitement in the face of cruelty. They were being whipped up. At best, they were just going along with the flow, with the majority of what the majority wanted. I suggest to you that they were not thinking about eternity at this point. They were being controlled by something else. Cruise control was on. Pilate's wife's reaction was sadness and compassion. She knew there was, there was something happening here, but she couldn't put a finger on it. Jesus, well, he was innocent. And if you know the story, of Pontius Pilate comes up with a plan. And he thinks that this plan will get him out of the, the whole idea of condemning this innocent man to death. And he comes up with his plan to offer the crowd a choice. Free Jesus, this innocent man who's done nothing, or free a notorious 
criminal, violent man, Barabbas. Pilate is sure that the crowd would not want such a dangerous man at large out amongst them again. So Barabbas, sorry Lawrence, next slide. I know it's boring, mate, keep with it. <laughs> so Barabbas, he's imprisoned. And you'll have to put up with my artistic license here. I'm imagining Barabbas, he's locked up in a prison cell, and it's true, right beneath the Praetorium, right beneath Pilate's palace, locked away in a dingy, dark, dark cell. Barabbas, I'm imagining now, can hear the crowds. Something's happening, but he, he can't, he doesn't know what it is. So he can hear this hustle and bustle and this, this baying crowd. I imagine that he can't really hear the single voice of Pilate. No microphones in those days or anything like that. So Pilate's calling to the crowd, but, but Barabbas can't hear that. All he can hear is the masses shouting what, what they shout. And this is where you come in. Because I want us to read the passage from the Bible. And then I want your, your interaction as well. So this is from Matthew 27. It says, but the governor said to them, which of the two do you want me to release to you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, then what shall I do with Jesus who is called the Christ? And they said, crucify him. And he said, why? What evil has he done? But they kept shouting all the more saying, crucify him. When Pilate saw that there was no that, uh, that he was accomplishing nothing, but rather that a riot was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to that yourselves. And all the people said, his blood shall be in us and on our children. Now, I'm going to play the part of Pontius Pilate and you're going to play the part of the crowd, okay? And you might be thinking, I don't, I don't want to say them words. I don't want to be part of the crowd. Well, I don't really want to be Pontius Pilate, to be honest, but anyway, okay? So I'm going to read, I'm going to narrate and be Pontius Pilate and you're going to be the baying crowd, okay? Say baying crowd. crowd. Make sure, growl when you say baying crowd. Yeah, that's better, that's it. Yeah, okay. So here we go. So imagine Barabbas down in his cell, can't really hear Pilate's voice, but he can hear the baying crowd, okay? But the governor said to them, which of the two do you want me to release to you? And they said... Bad. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called the Christ? And they said, And he said, Why? What evil has he done? But they kept shouting all the more, saying, When Pilate saw that he was accomplishing nothing, but rather a riot was started, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd, saying, I'm innocent of this man's blood. See to that yourself. And all the people said, <laughs> Nobody likes to say that bit anyway. But if you just move on to the next slide, Lawrence, and this is not in this. No, sorry, the next one. The one back from that. So is it not there? That's strange. Anyway, look at that. So all, all Barabbas hears is his name, Barabbas. The next thing he hears is crucify him. The next thing he hears, all the more, crucify him. So he's sat there in his cell thinking, this is it. This is it. 
Then he hears, let his blood be on us and on our children. And he's thinking, oh my, this is it. They really got it in for me now. This is it. And as he's thinking all that, you can imagine fear setting in. You can imagine him starting to shake. You can really imagine the terror that is setting in, especially when he hears the keys in, of the jailer in the cell door. And as the door opens, the jailer says, come on, out. And Barabbas is let out. And he's led up the stairs and it, the, the light is getting brighter and brighter. And he's let out into that bright sunshine that we saw on the picture. And then suddenly he's kicked out. Go on, you're free. Imagine. Imagine what that must have felt like. One moment you're expecting to die. The next moment, complete freedom. Free to do whatever you want. I wonder where he went. We don't actually know. The Bible doesn't say what happened to Barabbas. But we do know the rest of the story. Thanks, lads. He's free because Jesus is dying in his place. Romans 5 verse 6 says, When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Isaiah that I quoted earlier says this, God laid the iniquity of us all on him. Jesus died for Barabbas. He died for you and he died for me. He died that we might be forgiven. He died that we might live a proper life. He died that we might have the weight of sin lifted off our lives so that we can have a true relationship with God the Father. And he died so that our eternity can be certain and sure. This is the good news that the Gospel of Mark was talking about. And Jesus didn't stay dead. He proved who he was by his resurrection that first Easter. He came back to life. And he offers us the same invitation he offered to his first disciples. Come, follow me. The question this morning is, will you? Will you follow Jesus? Will you accept his offer? Will you believe this good news? Do you see that Jesus is God's good news to the whole world, including you? I'm going to pray a really simple prayer. It's a prayer that if you want to follow Jesus this morning, if you want to step over that line as it were, maybe you've been on a journey with, with Jesus and uh, you've come into contact with Christians and you, you've wondered what this gospel is really all about and maybe this morning something's clicked and you've realized that's what it's all about and that is good news. I do want rid of my sin. Well, it's a simple prayer that you can pray, asking God to forgive you Asking God to help you turn your life around. Asking God to come into your life by his Holy Spirit. And for you to live a life of freedom and security. Because that's, that's why Christians have that sickly smile on their face. Because they're certain, they're sure. God loves them. So would you bow your heads please? I'm not going to ask you to pray this out loud. I'm not going to ask you to step forward or anything like that. I'm just going to ask you, I'm just going to ask you to follow me in the quietness of your own heart as I pray. And then at the very end when I say amen, 
just while everybody keeps their heads bowed, I'm just going to ask you to indicate if you prayed that prayer sincerely for the first time this morning by just raising your hand. And maybe I can chat with you afterwards. Or maybe you want to chat with a Christian who you know better than me. I'd be very, very, very welcome to do that. This is the prayer. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you, Lord, that you are God the Father's good news. And your offer to me this morning is come, follow me. This morning, Jesus, I turn from all the sin in my life. I ask you to forgive me and I ask you to come into my life by your Holy Spirit. Help me to live for you from this point forward. In Jesus' name.